We'll use this one. All right. <clears throat> um, yeah, we were at district conference this week. And uh, by the way, um, should probably mention that I that uh, I was uh, reelected to the district executive. So just a privilege to to serve, uh, to be chosen by uh, my peers to to serve on the district executive, which is basically the the board of our district, the maritime district. So thank you. Um, but we were we were very. I I speak for myself. I was I was really just encouraged at our conference this this week. Um, it was just a real special time in God's presence. Um, we had a we had a guest speaker, um, Trisha Gibb, who was there, and uh, she just really uh, really spoke some encouraging and challenging words from the Lord for us. And uh, the message on Tuesday morning was particularly encouraging and challenging. The word should be that both of those things, shouldn't it? It should encourage us, but it should also poke us and wake us up and challenge us, right? And, uh, and so it was particularly challenging and encouraging for me. And so I did my best to kind of capture the, the, the thoughts that she had shared. And, uh, and I want to share them with you this morning. I don't usually take a message I've heard somewhere else and, and kind of retool it and preach it. Um, but I really felt that this was for, for us as well this morning. We're, we're going to read through in Luke chapter 8. If you have Bibles or Bible apps, you can join me there, Luke chapter 8. And uh, this is, I know this is a parable that you and I have heard a gazillion times. Um, and uh, I've, I've preached it many times. Uh, you've heard it preached many times. You've probably... You've maybe taught it. You've uh, you've uh, shared it with others. Um, but but let's try to approach it with fresh ears. All right, this morning. Verse starting in verse four of Ch Luke chapter eight. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, went out to plant seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that 
Though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable, Jesus said. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy and hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. We often think of this passage being just about the receptivity of hearts to the gospel. And that's one application, certainly, of the parable. It's not the only application. Jesus didn't say the seed was the gospel. He said it was the word of God. And if we're honest, our receptivity to the word of God is different at different seasons in our lives. We shouldn't be deceived thinking that we're immune to the problems of the soil in this parable. The speaker on Tuesday challenged us as pastors and preachers of the word to not ourselves be deceived into thinking that we're immune to these challenges of the soil of the word of God in our hearts. And I would reflect that to us here today as well. How many gardeners do we have in the house? A few. A few. Do we have any farmers in the house? I don't think we do, eh? Like actual farmers? No. I, we actually, I, I, well, we lived for a lot of our married life and, and ministry life in farming country. And I, I grew up in farming country. And, uh, um, you know, every year, every year, the, uh, the farmers would have to plow up the field again to get the field ready for planting, right? So every year, they come through again and they plow it up. Um, and they, they, have to, they have to plow up and, and deal with the weeds that have grown up, deal with the stones, deal with the, the, the stuff, and, and make the soil ready, prepare the soil to receive the seed. Why? Because clearing a plot of land for a field, you know, when, a, when, a, when the farmer first moved there, or the first farmers moved there, and they had to cut down trees, and they had to rip out stumps, and they, they had to get the land ready to be a field 
to plant the seed, the job wasn't done forever, right? But a field needs constant, yearly, regular attention and care in order to be a productive piece of land. Genesis 2.15. It's an interesting passage. God makes Adam and Eve. And then it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. I don't know if, I don't know if I'd ever noticed this before. Put him in the Garden of Eden. Right? We, we think the Garden of Eden was just a place where everything was done for them, and they just went around picking, picking fruit and eating it. Right? Put, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Those are two important Hebrew words in that passage. To work it, abad, to work it, and shamar, to care for it, to guard it, to protect it, to watch over it. He took Adam and he put him in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God, the place of paradise. I'm, I, I don't know if you know this, but work was not part of the curse. Work was not part of the curse. Adam was working before Adam and Eve fell. I know some of us, right, have this picture of paradise, this picture of heaven, this picture of whatever God has in store for us as being an eternal vacation, right? Just put our feet up with a good book, by, by, you know, by the ocean and just chill out for eternity. Or sit on a cloud and play a harp and chill out for eternity, right? Yeah, well, vacation's great for a couple weeks, but, but, you know, after a while, it begins to get boring, right? And, and because we as humans were made, we were made for purpose, we were made to have purpose in our lives. Whether that purpose is a, is a kind of a job like we would think of a job or whether it's, you know, a volunteer position or what, no matter what it is, we're, we're made to have a purpose. And Adam and Eve were given the responsibility, the purpose and responsibility of breaking up the ground, of tilling the ground in the Garden of Eden and preparing it and making it, making it productive, making it good soil, making it produce. The intention of God was, was not just to have a little garden. The God's intention it seems in, in Genesis, was that Adam and Eve would tend the garden and, 
and develop the garden and care for the garden and expand the garden, expand the rule and reign and, and place of God so until the entire world became the garden of Eden. That was God's intention. But they sinned, they fell, and Adam and Eve were actually expelled out of the garden, out of the place of productive land. Yes, they had to till it, but it wasn't, it wasn't super hard work. But they were expelled out into the wildlands where God said, from now on, you will deal with thistles and thorns and briars, and your work will come at the sweat of your brow. It will be difficult. It will be hard. And the thorns and the thistles and the weeds of the world will fight against you, will war against you, and it will be difficult. Right? Sin changed everything. And the soil that they needed to deal with was now difficult thorny and troublesome. There's a truth here for us that the soil of human hearts also took on the nature of being thorny and rocky and troublesome. And the Word of God no longer easily grew in our hearts Without effort, we actually need to we actually need to do something so that the so that our hearts can be good soil for the word of God. This idea of thorns being the troublesome things of the world that war against us is is a frequent theme in the Old Testament. In fact, it's in 15 of the Old Testament books talk about thorns being the challenges of the world that war against the people of God. And the idea of caring for our hearts and dealing with our hearts and, and cultivating our hearts is vital in the, in the Word of God as well. Proverbs 4.23 says this, in the NIV, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Another translation says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. So Jesus, in this parable, had some things to say about different kinds of hearts. The path, he said, was a hard walkway where the seed bounced off and the devil snatched away the seed before anything could begin to take root. Let me ask you, Brothers and sisters, has your heart become hard? 
We are not immune to this heart condition called the hardening of the heart. Has disappointment caused you to entertain unbelief? Has offense or betrayal from a brother or sister caused you to raise your defenses against trusting or loving or letting others in? I'm going to pause there for a moment. I didn't plan to say this, but I've said it here before. I don't know if you realize this, but you only have one heart, right? Sometimes we have this idea that, that it doesn't matter what my, what my status is with my brothers and sisters, what, what my relationship is, what my heart is towards people. Me and Jesus are just fine, thanks. But when we harden our hearts towards people, we harden we only have one heart. Our heart cannot stay soft towards God when it's hard towards people. Has your devotional time turned into boring religious duty rather than cherished moments spent in the presence of the Father? Has the Bible become dry and worship become hollow and fellowship become painful? Are you quick to mock or sneer when someone is excited about something the Holy Spirit has brought alive to them? You know, sometimes our hearts can slowly and subtly over time become callous to the things of God. We've heard it all before. We've even taught it. We've even encouraged others with it in the past. But now it just seems to bounce off. We can, we can blame others. Point at the ones who've done us wrong. Or the pastor who's not on fire enough. Or the worship team that doesn't sing the right songs. Or... God who hasn't come through in the way we thought he would. But in the end, folks, we are given the responsibility to guard and cultivate the soil of our hearts. We are given that responsibility. And we can't point at anyone else. If our hearts are hard, we need to get out the shovel and break up the hard ground. If the Word of God is bouncing off and not changing us, if we can hear a message and walk out and say, I hope so-and-so was listening, instead of hearing what we need to hear, if Satan is able to rob the life-changing words of life before they sink into our hearts, then it's time to break up the soil of our lives. Rocky ground. I actually didn't just um, 
grow up near farms when I was a kid. I actually grew up on farms. My parents weren't farmers, but for the first probably 12 years of our lot of my life, um, my parents rented farmhouses, and the f they were working farms all around us. And so I actually watched farming, um, you know, in 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 process. Got to watch it happen around me, and and sometimes even got to participate. I've got stories of sliding in cow poop and all kinds of stuff, but we won't get into those today. <laughs> but I remember, I remember one day, I, I probably, because the word bored was a four-letter word in my house when I was growing up. I know it's five letters, but it was a four-letter word in my parents' house. And if I said I was bored, I had I was given jobs to do, right? And uh, and so I don't know. That's probably what happened this day, but I ended up being sent out with the farming family who owned the property where we lived, and there was they they had a, a number of large fields, about 400 acres per field, these huge fields, and uh, and they were all out. Picking rocks. The plow had gone through, and this was a job that, that they, they and their kids did every summer. After the plow went through, you went through and you picked up rocks. You'd think that job would get done after a while, right? You'd think that the field would run out of rocks. Somehow it doesn't. And every time the, you know, the plow would go through, more rocks would rise to the surface, and the family would be out there with a, you know, a, a wagon going behind them, and they'd be picking up these rocks and throw the rocks on the, on the wagon and clearing the rocks out of the field so that once again this year they would have a good harvest. I remember not enjoying it quite as much as all the rest of them did, but... Uh, I guess they understood uh, they understood the importance of a good crop, and I just was given chores to do. But what keeps the word, as this passage says, from putting down roots in our hearts? What are the rocks? that we need to deal with, that keep the word from putting down roots in our hearts. I would say one of them is worldly influences and taking on the values of the world instead of giving the word of God the priority it deserves in our lives. Right along with that goes valuing our own opinion over what the Bible has to say about something. I've heard way too many conversations with people, I've had way too many conversations with people over the years who say they are followers of Jesus but don't want to hear what the Scriptures say they should do. Right? Right? 
would rather listen to their own emotions. Well, it's nice that that verse says that, but this is how I feel. Or rather listen to their own opinions. Or rather listen to the ideas of the world around them and the values of the culture instead of submitting their thinking to the Word of God. If we are truly going to follow Jesus, we ought to do our very best, and we, all of us fail at this, but we ought to do our very best to make the Word of God our go-to, to make the Word of God our ultimate authority. When I need to know what to do, my first thing isn't to put it on Facebook and ask everyone else, but it's to go to the Scriptures and say, God, what do you say about this situation in my heart, in my life? Right? That tendency to put everything else or many other things above the Word of God is a rock that will cause us to not put down roots in the Word. Emotional pain that we have not dealt with. People carry around wounds from growing up, from hurts they've got along the way. And instead of bringing them to Jesus, they allow them to define them. And maybe they don't realize that they can be healed. Maybe the pain has become too familiar and they aren't sure who they would be without it. Or maybe they think that bringing it back to the surface for healing would be too painful and they'd rather leave it buried even though those around them can see how it controls their lives. Maybe they think that forgiving would cost too much. So, not submitting to the Word, emotional pain that's not dealt with, and the third rock I want us to consider this morning is lies of the enemy. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. The problem is his lies are believable. His lies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the air conditioning on because how many are warm this morning? Just me? Three of us? All right. Well, the three of us will get cooler. problem is Satan's lies are believable. He is really good at it, right? He's had thousands of years of observing human nature, and human nature hasn't changed. Just, just look in the scriptures and see that thousands of years ago, people behaved just as ridiculously as you and I do, right? We are often deceived by his crafty tricks and we don't even know it. That's the definition of being deceived, by the way. Is that you've been made to believe something that's not true and you don't know it. 
You've fallen for a lie. It may be a lie about someone else and their motives. Oh, yeah, they did this because of this. It may be a lie that God doesn't love you or that you aren't really free, as, as Bob talked about this morning. Here's, here's just a few examples of some of the lies that we fall for. My past defines me more than my present and my future does. It's a lie. It's a lie. I'm alone because I'm the only one who struggles with this. I have to measure up for God to love me. God is not really good or he would do this. I don't need anyone else. My happiness is all that really matters. God doesn't hear my prayers. Forgiving will make me weak. And we could go on. But digging out the lies, those rocks, those things, digging out the unhealed stuff, letting Jesus heal it, digging out the worldly influences that have crowded our lives, digging out those rocks and throwing them out of the field. Some of us this morning need to do the hard work of clearing the soil so our hearts will be good soil. Weeds. Jesus said it's life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Today in our world, we have so much coming at us every day. If we don't prioritize Jesus in our hearts, we can lose the battle by simply drifting away in the, in the, the onslaught of things that are coming at us. Right? I've seen too many people who at some point in their lives would have, would have said, I will never walk away. I will always love Jesus. And then at some point they woke up to realize they were no longer actively walking with God. They never had a crisis of faith. They never, they never just got up one day and, and intentionally turned their back on Jesus. They just got busy and distracted, and fearful, and focused on other priorities like making money, and raising a family, and enjoying life, that their walk with God just went from being a headline to a byline to a sideline, and just fell off the radar. What are the thorns? What are the weeds? What are the cares and worries and stuff of, of the world coming at us, stuff of life coming at us that is keeping us from being the soil. It's choking out, as Jesus said, choking out the Word of God in our hearts. And then lastly, 
Jesus spoke of good soil. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as, as, as we talk about this. I'm sure today that if you're, you're here, you're tuned in and listening, if you've taken time to join us online and you're listening today, that you would say, that all of us here would say, that we want our heart to be the kind of soil that Jesus talked about, that good soil. That good soil. We would want to be one with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop a hundred times what was planted. How many would love to have that kind of fruitfulness in your life? Right? A hundred times what was planted. But it doesn't, folks, it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. We aren't just either born with good soil or born with bad soil. It doesn't happen by accident. Jesus dealt with the curse of thorns the day that he wore a crown of thorns on his head for you. He dealt with the curse of thorns he dealt with the stuff of life. He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And you and I can, and we are called to live thorn-free, rock-free, hardened ground-free. But we need to get out the shovel. We need to dig up the soil of our hearts. We need, to, we need to be ready and willing to say, God, what's coming to the surface? What, what thorns, what weeds, what rocks, what hardness is coming to the surface that I need to deal with so that my heart, my heart can be good soil? We have the responsibility to guard our heart for it is the spring of life. It is the environment, your heart, my heart. Your heart is the environment that will determine your fruitfulness. And I know that when I heard a message like this this week, I needed to get the shovel out. God was speaking to me about, about weeds and rocks and stuff that I needed to dig out and deal with in my own heart. And I don't doubt that most of us in this room could say if we, if we responded honestly to what Jesus is saying this morning. That we've got some shovel work to do. Got some shovel work in our lives. 
going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray with us. I'm going to ask Bob to be ready uh, as soon as I'm done praying as well. I want to pray. God, (laughs) wow, God, I thank you for your patience with your people. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you that you just continually keep coming back, wooing me towards you, drawing me, speaking speaking kindness towards towards me I don't understand that the the extent of your patience God but God Here as we stand here this morning, I pray that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts, speak to our lives, that Holy Spirit, you would would reveal to us in a very personal, very private, very, very direct way for each one of us that you would reveal to us, God, what are the what are the rocks? What are the weeds? What is the hardness? What do we need to surrender to you this morning so that our hearts can be worked up again, prepared again to be the kinds of hearts that produce good fruit? We invite you, God, to come speak to us Come challenge us. Come change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor. Really, it's time to seek the Lord. I don't know about you, but God's been speaking to me. Can we take time this morning and just wait on the Lord? Maybe you'd like to come and around these altars. Maybe you'd like to kneel at the pew or sit doesn't matter what our posture is today, but that we would seek the Lord while he be found. If you have to go at this time, thank you for coming. And we would ask you that you would move to the exit for uh, the lobby for fellowship time because this sanctuary is a place of prayer. And maybe today you've come to God's house and you don't, know, you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. I want you to know, no, Jesus is real. And he's ready to come into your life and make a difference. A member of the Breakthrough Team would love to pray with you. That would be your, your desire to come to know Jesus. Come. Maybe you need healing. He is a great physician. He's ready to touch you today. For by his stripes you are healed. Well, let's take time, church.
to wait on our God. Allow him to continue to do his work in us. I believe it's a it's the beginning of renewal, beginning of new newness in our own hearts. We are going to draw closer to him. Let's let's take time for Jesus. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever give. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. 